There we go. Today has been an interesting day. <laughs> we'll turn that down a little bit. I did. So we've had all sorts of, you know, sometimes you don't always see everything that's going on, but we've had major technology issues today. Tom would be very happy, by the way. Because today I'm here with a so if you physical to to Bible instead of one on my computer. All right, I get an amen to that. So my computer is on the screen <laughs> because the computer we had back there didn't work whatsoever. And so we're just kind of floating with it. Some of the music team stuff, all, you know, like the last little bit we were saying, some of the, how can we get that to words beforehand? Well, that's because we didn't have any words to go through just to make sure everything was the same. Because we had to swap out computers, all that kind of fun stuff. And then George comes to me just before the service and tells me something, I didn't even have the microphone on. <laughs> but I had to go to the microphone. It's just one of those fun, interesting days. Mm -hmm. But I want to tell you how much I appreciate the last song we just sang. It really walks us right into what we're talking about today. In the theme of issues as we start to pick up on James chapter 3. I need you, Jesus. What else can I go? Where else can I go? Now, our world does not understand that language. And as our world wrestles with things, our world recognizes, as individuals, they have problems that they need to fix. Do you understand that? Do you mind if I go? How many of you guys can go to the bookstore or have that in times past pick up a self-help book? We see them advertised all over the place, all the time. Do you need help to address this? Do you need help to address that? Do you need help to fix this? And there are self-help books all over the internet, all through our bookstores, and probably home on some of our shelves. But the reality is, where does that help, and where does the reality of transforming us come from? It really comes from Jesus. It really doesn't come from other things because the other things people offer really don't offer the transformation that the gospel offers. So what I'd like to do, I'm going to, I won't read from this, but I'm going to use this as my reference point because great Bible, NIV, but on our screen we have the English Standard Bible, so it's a slightly different translation. So I'm going to read James 1 through 3, verses 1 to 12, if you want to throw that up. And then we'll come along and have one prayer and we'll jump into things. It says, Now, many not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble on what he says, he is before able to also control his whole body. Now, if we put a bit into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very, a very small rudder, whether, wherever, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large force. And we see this almost every year long, or every couple of years, where someone carelessly left a fire, a campfire going, or someone maliciously lights a fire, and next thing you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of acres are burned, and homes are burned up, and people are driven through their homes. Why? Just because someone struck a match and started a small fire. The power and influence of the tongue. So too. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It, st it stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Yet, yeah. this is kind of blazing language as he's talking. Keep on going. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. 
Blessing and curses come out of the same mouth from my brothers and sisters. These things should not, these things should not be this way. Does the spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, who are grapevine produce figs, neither can a salt or a spring yield fresh water. Father, I want to ask for these next few moments that you would die our time. Now, Father, as we look at the verses that are in front of us and as we start to process through what James is talking about, how to really guide our time. Build into us, help us to think a little bit more deeply about what is being said, help us to be a little more reflective and thoughtful. And then, Father, allow us to. As we've looked at other times, Father, then help us not to go away forgetting what we listen, but, but hear and remember. Or as uh, we talked about last week, Father, let us then really apply and allow the result of what our faith is teaching us to result in transformation in our lives and, and changes so that the evidence of our faith is being born. Father, just ask you to guide our time over these next moments. I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Now let's go to verse 1 if we can. And turn back there and you'll see that. Now James says something here that I think is profoundly interesting. We're going through chapter 1 and 2, and then you land here in chapter 3, verse 1, and he makes this statement. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we receive a stricter judgment. Now, all the way up until this point in time, James has not talked about teaching or anything like this. And all of a sudden, it's like you get here and he pivots and he shifts and he starts to have a conversation about teachers. Now, I don't know, as you read through the process, if that catches your attention, but it definitely caught mine. Because as I'm looking at this, I, now as I think through this, I think now through chapter 4, probably through chapter 4, he now picks up the conversation. He doesn't, doesn't go back and refer to the issue of teacher, but I think the whole issue of teacher carries through the conversation that goes at least down through the, the middle part of chapter 4, but I think probably all the way through chapter 4. But the whole issue of a teacher, why would he ask a question about teacher? Not many should become teachers. Why that shift? Why that conversation? I think it's based on this issue. I think it's centered on why James is writing to begin with. The church has been dispersed. Persecution has started to come. People are now starting to be persecuted for their faith in Jesus. The church in Jerusalem, kind of, the, 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 the world took kind of the, the hammer and kind of splattered it, and it's kind of been dispersed. It's been scattered around. Christians in the church in Jerusalem have now been persecuted. They're being pushed out of Jerusalem. They're going back to their homes. They're going back to other areas. And now they're going back to these areas, but they don't have the same teaching, they don't have the same instruction that they had received in Jerusalem. Now, as the persecution is taking place, particularly what's taking place, is that the leaders themselves are not so much being squeezed, although they're being squeezed a little bit. And then we read in Acts, I think Acts 12, how James is arrested and executed, then Peter is arrested, they think they're going to execute him. But up to this point in time, they had not yet started to persecute and execute Christian, the Christian leadership, but they were now really starting to give the followers of Jesus a really hard time pushing them out. Now, in the Jewish tradition, as the Jewish community had spread, they would have rabbis in various areas. They would rabbis in various communities, and these rabbis would teach, and they would come to the synagogue, the rabbi would teach, and now these Christians are dispersed, they're spread out, and who are they going to have as their teacher? Because most of the teachers, the primary teachers, are still back in Jerusalem. So they come together for church. They come together to, as brothers and sisters to honor the Lord, to celebrate the Lord. And, and in their tradition and in their routine, they have recognized that a key part of their time together is to listen to the teaching and instruction from the Lord. Who 
does that. And so they, they sit in the room and they kind of say, who's going to be the one who's going to start to lead us? And who's going to be the one who's going to start to instruct us? Who should do that? And I think that's the, the beginning of this conversation, and I think that's the impetus from the statement that's being made here. And I think now the verses that follow start to lay some foundation and start to give some thought process to the church as to who should be the teacher. And overwhelmingly, a criteria that he gives is the mouth. And this is huge, huge. But before we jump into that, I want to take you to the top of our notes, and I want to kind of go back over the last few weeks. Because I think as we go over the last few, few weeks, we lay the foundation, we start to grab some understanding as to what is going on. And again, how I thought it fits so perfectly well from what we sang just before I walked up. We need Jesus. That's where it flows. So, as we started this conversation, wisdom is how one manages trials and in how they perceive and view the events that are happening in their life. Is Jesus tempting me or is Jesus trying me? Is Jesus helping me to see those things that need to be refined? Is Jesus helping me to see those things that need to be developed? Is he testing me to help me to see and understand where I am weak and where I am flawed so I understand where I need to grow? Or is Jesus bringing things into my life to tempt me to sin? Now, this is all internal, isn't it? It's attitudinal. It doesn't have a whole lot of expression externally. And you don't have a whole lot of expression of this externally until when? Someone starts to open their mouth. Mm -hmm. And they start to talk about what they perceive and what they understand to be going on in their life and around them. Why is James saying, some of you guys are saying you're being tempted? Why is he saying that? Because some people have already opened their mouth and they're saying, God is causing me to be tempted. And God is tempting me. He goes, time out. No, he's not. You've got it wrong. But people are starting to give expression to their opinions. They're starting to give expression to their ideas. Coming out of the mouth. The fruit result of how one speaks, how one uses the tongue. Conversation continues. Proactiveness in applying God's word and principles to their lives. He talks about that. And now, where are some of the key places where we apply that? To our mouth. Right? That's one of the key places where we start to apply it. Learning to see and love others like Jesus, not in a selfish or self-serving manner. Connor spoke in, in, in chapter 3, or chapter 2. Outstanding job. If you haven't, if you didn't listen to the Connor's messages, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. Outstanding. And this this whole conversation, he, he, he walks through this. The whole issue of favoritism. Man, how do you see favoritism mapped out in our world today? Social media is filled with language of favoritism. It's all over the place. Why? Because people are talking, and they're talking through their tongues, or they're talking through the pen. But it's a different expression of how they talk. But they're giving expression to their attitudes. They're giving expression to their values. Why? And, and, and where does all of that bias, where does all that prejudice, where does all that preferential treatment attitude come from? Yes. It's all that internal stuff that's flowing out of that internal working in someone's life and it's... Flowing, flowing out of the mouth. Continues. Their life bears evidence and truth to their faith in and with their walk with Jesus. And that whole conversation I got on last week about faith and works. 
And again, I love what he was saying. I love how he connected. I wrote him, I said, I loved how he connected Paul and, and James and the council in Jerusalem, how they were in sync on an opposition. I love that. But again, what's, 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 what's being driven here? Our faith is manifested. The evidence of our faith is seen in how we walk and live. And if what you have in Jesus is real, it's going to be manifested in how you live. It's going to be obvious. The proof is going to manifest. All right? I was looking at my, my book yesterday, my magazine, that was telling me about fruit and vegetables and all that good stuff. And I'm going to buy some seeds. And I'm going to plant some seeds and I'm going to grow some stuff. Well, I'm going to grow some tomatoes. And I want to grow some regular tomatoes. I'm going to grow some cherry tomatoes. And I'm going to grow some plum tomatoes. You know what I'm expecting when I'm planting those seeds? Tomatoes. No, I'm not just expecting tomatoes. I'm expecting regular tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, and plum tomatoes. I'm not expecting cucumbers or squash or cauliflower or broccoli. I'm expecting the stuff I plant. Right? That's fruit. It's fruit. Now, in our world, they see the problem of people's mouths. They see the problem of people's attitudes. And one of two things is taking place. The first one, as you look at the top of your notes, you see the secular view, self-management. The secular view says all this stuff is not good. We need help in self-management. And we need resources to kind of redirect and, 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 and reshape how we communicate and how we interact, and, 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 and how we flow in relationship with others. And, and we need to work on self-management. And then we, that goes into people management. That's the world's approach. But everything that's been coming up to this point, as James has been writing, has not been about any form of self or group management. It's not been there at all. Because what James has been writing about is this other part, the sanctified view. And that is transfiguration. Okay? That is the work of when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. We, a person makes a, a faith decision for Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence in our lives. And the Holy Spirit starts to apply God's word and God's truth to our lives, God's lessons to our lives. And he starts to, as the computer's language would say, he starts to rewrite the programming of our lives. And so what starts to take place is we're now no longer working at self-management, but rather we're working so much more at surrender and transformation, allowing God to rewrite us, to rework us, so that we are intrinsically transformed and changed. Not so that we have to be massively disciplined and very, very careful to hide or, or conceal or, or set aside our biases, but rather to manage the internals as the Holy Spirit transforms us and rewrites us after the image of God so that what comes out of us reflects the character and glory and honor of God. Now James is talking about transformation. And then he comes to verse 1. Put that back up to it, please. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we receive a stricter judgment. Guys, not many of you should become teachers. Why? Because some of you have only worked at self-management. You have not worked at transformation. It makes a world a difference. You ever have someone that you know, and as they get older, 
their self-management process begins to slip and fail. And all of these biases that they had that they didn't talk about start to bubble out. All of this language that we get to hear starts to be manifest. All of these attitudes that you didn't hear a whole lot about start to come out of their mouth. Why? Because their ability to self-manage is being compromised by the results of aging. Transformation makes us different. It doesn't cover it up. It doesn't manage the sewer. It cleanses the sewer and puts something different in its place. Now, change continues. Now, one of the things I want you to see here is Ephesians 4 11. Because as we look at Ephesians 4 11, later on, Paul has a conversation. As Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, they also are asking questions about leaders and that kind of stuff. And what does Paul say? He talks about Jesus. Says, and he himself gave some to what? To be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And most of us, as we look at the scriptures and who's thin where I stand, would look at the role of pastor-teacher kind of in some ways as a synonymous role. So you see a couple of, you see four distinct roles here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors slash teachers. So the role of a teacher is important. And, it's a, and it is something that God does gift to the church. The question is, you want? Who do you want to teach you? Do you want someone who's only trying to do self-management, or are you looking for someone <coughs> who's experiencing transformation? Now, as, as you can look at the notes here, right, you see I, I have this whole conversation. Who should we have lead and teach? And we will ask this question in my life this week as well. The one who is most popular, is that a good recipe for teaching? No? How about the most charismatic? No. History is filled with charismatic people who have led people literally over the cliff. Or Kool-Aid trains. Okay? It's horrible stuff. Horrible. Being charismatic is not, not necessarily... You know, it's nice if you have a quality teacher who's charismatic. That's kind of fun. But just because you're charismatic, it doesn't make you a good teacher. Now, the strongest personality? Oh, I see. You know, horrible. Now, how about the take charge, self appointed person? Oh, that's not good either. That's kind of like the bully, right? I'm in charge. Sit down, be quiet, don't speak. What, what, what? I said, be quiet. Do I need to do something about this? You know? Those are omniscious. Now, what was we saying there? The church has not done a good job of this. Because all those negative characteristics and all those individuals we just talked about. In every church that I've come in the past and helped turn around, those were the key kinds of leaders in many of those churches. Because they didn't take the time to really ask the question who do you want to have teach and who do you want to have lead? It's a really important question. James is putting a really significant issue. And many of the characters and qualities that we look at. Now, look at those qualities in our culture today. You see <coughs> those characteristics and qualities in our culture today, and so much was messed up because of it. You need to look at people who are in the process of being transformed. 
people teach, the transformation process is core. Now, he also says something here that I think is also really interesting. And go back to first one. How do we get back to verse 11? There you go. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because, and catch this next part, we all make an assumption. Okay, so, because you know that you will receive a stricter judgment. Who are we talking about there? Who's going to bring a stricter judgment? Let me say it out loud. God. Say it out loud. God. We all assume it's God. That's the assumption you kind of go to that. Now, let me get some verses that talk about that. But, so let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. Either make the tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Keep on going. Root vipers, how can you speak, he's talking to the Jewish leaders, how can, good, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Keep going. A good person produces good things and from the storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his own storeroom of evil. Keep going. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to give and have, will have to account for every careless word they speak. No more words. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. So clearly there's an issue of our conversation with God. Have over chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a small child and had him stand among them. Keep on going. Truly I tell you, he said, Unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, it's kind of a heavy statement. <coughs> Let's go on. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. That would not be that would be unprofitable for you. But pause here for a second. Why should you listen? Why? Because we are going to have to give an account. Someday I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account that's going to be a different accounting than the one you will receive. Why? Because I have over my life I've stood before church families and I proclaim and declare the word of God in a so I'm going to have a stricter accountability. But if anyone has taught, there's also going to be an accountability. One more verse, Romans. <coughs> but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Then we go back. We will receive judgment. It's very, very clear. Very clear. That the part of the judgment is going to come from God. Very, very clear. But what's interesting in this whole conversation is we make that assumption, but James ultimately in his conversation does not specify that. I will suggest to you that not only do you recognize that God is going to hold us accountable, but others are going to hold us accountable too. As those who sit under the teaching of another, they're going to hold that person who's teaching accountable. And they're going to start to say, you're teaching well, you're teaching correctly, or no, back up. We need to talk about this stuff because you're starting to go into places from there. There will be accountability. <clears throat> and I'm intrigued by the fact that James somehow we got to verse 12 again. I'm intrigued by the fact that James comes back and he talks about judgment, that there will be a stricter judgment. He told me to go back. 
Now, verse 2. Now, many of us stumble, he says, in many ways. And anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is before able to control his whole body. Many of us stumble. Who here has not stumbled? We all stumble. Every single one of us. Now that's the part of the challenge in this whole conversation of choosing a leader. Because all of us stumble. There's not a single one of us that goes through the day without messing up. Every single one of us, every day, mess up. Many of us mess up sometimes before we get to the toilet, before we get to the shower, or before we get to breakfast. Some of us mess up probably before we get to work. But every single one of us, we mess up. Every day. Challenges. Who is amidst the process of transformation? Not just self-management, but who's really about the process that God is working in transformation? Now, I really appreciated Matthew 15. So we go to Matthew 15, verses 10 to 20. So in the cry, told, listen and understand it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came up and told them, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? And Jesus said, yes, So to reply, every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind, and if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. Then Peter said, explain this parable to us. Do you still lack understanding, he asked? Do you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual moralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. And these are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. See, out of the mouth come those things that swirl around on the internals of who we are. That is what defiles. Self-management tries to manage all of that stuff. Self-management tries to take that stuff and compartmentalize it and, and wall off different things so that it doesn't have expression in public venue, but it still is percolating under the surface. <coughs> Transformation is about the process of uprooting those things, tearing those things out, and planting new and different things in our That's the importance, and that's the value of shifting from self-management to transformation. Letting God work in us. Letting God transform us now. Do we do self-management in the process of transformation? We do. But if we're only doing self-management, we're missing Now, as I was studying, and as I was putting PowerPoint and this together, I misread my notes. And I put this next verse in. And I thought I needed to keep it in. So let's go there. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Keep on going. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste of saltiness, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Now the, the, the deliveries are last two verses. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teachings, others and, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You hearing this? He's talking about the transformation process. He's talking about those changes that he wants to see taking place in us. And this was not a text I picked out. This is one that landed in the PowerPoint by accident because I dropped the one in front of the five. But as I'm doing this, I'm feeling like God's poking me to keep it in, so I kept it in. But again, what do we see? We're seeing the result of teaching poorly. So therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commandments will be called what? Great, Great. in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10. Is that it? For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. What do the scribes and Pharisees practice? Hypocrisy. They were living transformed lives. <coughs> Overwhelmingly, the people that, that, that Jesus has talked about here, the ones that he referred to, are the ones who were trying to look good and act good in front of other people. But inside they are corrupt. But the ones who are running the temple system so they can make themselves rich and so they can live abundantly in that world's culture. But they are not walking well with God. But who's great in the kingdom of heaven? Those that pursue righteousness, you're not going to get to glory by learning self-management. We will go there and experience it as we experience transformation from the finished work that Jesus Christ gets applied to our lives and as the Holy Spirit starts to change us. Now, we need to be careful as we teach. And then as we go back to verse 2, should be coming up again. We all stumble. We all do. But the challenge of the stumbling process is to allow the transformation process to be at work in us so it progressively more and more and more and more and more. That which, is, that which defiles us is eliminated. Not just walled up, not just sectioned up, but it's eliminated from our lives. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is transforming us and turning us into people who reflect the character and the nature and integrity of us. Now, go on to James 3, verse 3. Now, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct the whole armies. They consider ships, though they are large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by very small, very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, the tongue is a small part of the body that boasts great things. Consider how small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire, the tongue of the world of unrighteousness is placed among the members, it stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. As I wrote here in the notes, and I want you to see it, those so small, those small, so much pivots and turns based on the influence of the tongue. So much does. As I was thinking about this, think about everything we are hearing in our news, in our media, and all that's going on. How 
I'll be talked to in a straight into that unit. Versus how much is shaped and flavored and twisted and manipulated toward your mind. It blows me away. As you start to listen to how our culture uses the tongue. Blows me away. Our culture and our world is so aflame with the wickedness and the evilness that comes out of expression from the tongue. But the problem is ultimately it's not the tongue. It's the hearts and attitudes and desires of the people that speak. It's the agendas and the motives of the people that speak. It is so flawed. The middle world is so flawed because people are so unwilling to allow the transformation that Jesus wants to bring in us. And they might work on self-management. They might work so they look and appear positive. But the problem is they haven't dealt with the core issue. So even though they have learned management and self-control in many areas, still the way they speak and the direction they lean is an expression of the evil of the heart. Now, this is where Jeremiah keeps saying, let's get Jeremiah. But as I say, many of us know this, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? The different translation says it's deceitfully why? Why is a heart so bad? Because a heart, we are corrupt at conception because of sin. At conception, we are corrupt because we are inheritors of Adam's sin. And because we are inheritors, inheritors of Adam's sin, the inclination of our heart and the attitude of our heart is not to pursue righteousness, it's to pursue other things. Adam in the garden, as we see the setting in the, in, the, in the framing of that heart, what was his intention, what was his heart? Did he decide he couldn't trust God, he wanted evil over God, he, he was selfish, self-serving, self-indulgent, he chose sin. And you continue to see the ripple effect of all of that. You don't see the outworking of righteousness. You don't see the outworking of purity. You see the outworking of sin and all those things that flow from sinful attitude. And all of that comes flowing out of the mouth. Verses 7 and 12. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Oops. <laughs> with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth of brothers and sisters. These things should not be this way. Does the spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives and my brothers and sisters for a great time produce fruit? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh. Now we get this. We live here in salt water. And, and we know what happens when you get the mingling of salt and fresh. You get brackish water, it's, it's salty, it's still not, you still can't use it. You take a brackish water and you water your garden, your stuff's still going to die. It doesn't work. Now, so we can't tame the tongue, and yet we look at this whole conversation and we see the taming of so much in our world. By the way, as we see the taming of so much in our world, now what's done? Behavior management. Well, we'll skip that. We'll see And they had a question. What Russian scientists taught their dog to do different things based on various sounds? Pavlov. Pavlov. Very good. You got that one. 
Pavlov's dog. He taught his dog to behave certain ways based upon various sounds. That's behavior management. He hasn't changed the heart of the dog. He hasn't transformed the dog into something else. All he did was behavior management. When we put the bit into the horse's mouth, and we pull the reins one way or the other, what are we doing? Behavior management. It's behavior management. <laughs> it doesn't want to go that way often, but its mouth hurts, so it goes that way, so it stops hurting. It's behavior management. We raised raccoons when I was a kid. And um, my grandma had a cabin, and um, the mother came down the chimney, had her litter in the fireplace, okay? And so we eliminated the mother, and we were left with a bunch of little baby raccoons. And they were cute, and they were fun. But as we started to grow, we called people in, and we gave them to them to get them repatriated into the wild. Why? Because raccoons are notorious in some of this way. They're really tough to be domesticated. Because you can't take the wild out of the raccoon. Because it reverts to its nature. You can try to do behavior modification, but you can't transform it. I heard the story a long time ago. This animal trainer guy. He was disinfecting the blood of this. And this guy had a big python snake. And his show was to open the box and have his snake crawl up his body. And then he would blow a whistle. And then the snake would uncurl and go back into the box. One day, the snake curled up around the sky, and he blew his whistle. And instead of uncurling, it started to be straight. And so while he was on stage, he killed him. Why? Because all that took place is the behavior management didn't work because it was really not transformation. It was only behavior management. So how do you get victory over your time? Transformation. Not behavior management. It's transformation. It's allowing God to change the internal parts of who we are. Now, all of this echoes back to chapter 3, verse 1. Now many of you should soon become, become teachers because you're going to face a stricter judgment. Who do we want to have teach? Who do we want to have be? Are you looking for people who only practice behavioral management? Or are we looking for people who are experiencing transformation? And that's why chapters 1 and 2 are so important. And this is why the verses that follow are so important. Because ultimately they are talking about issues of transformation and the importance of the internal work of God in our lives, reshaping us and remaking us after the image of Jesus. This is not just about learning to be better people in a corrupt and modern world. This is learning. Because we have come into an encounter with Jesus, it's learning to allow the character of Christ to be reflected in us. Why? Because we love God and we want to be like Him. 
and we want to be transformed after the image of Christ. It's a great thing for someone to want to teach, and the church needs great teachers. But also what the church needs as they see great teachers are men and women who are being in the process of being transformed, not just who have practiced behavioral management. So what's God doing in your life? Are you practicing behavior men? Or are you allowing God to transform you through the work of your spirit? Helping you become more and more like the person of Jesus. That is the outcome you should receive. And one of the best ways to measure that is on now. Father, I thank you so very much for your goodness and your richness to us. And Father, even as we walk this journey, we, we recognize the challenge that is in front of us to live transformed lives. Father, our world hungers for things that are different, and yet they don't always want to acknowledge that comes from Jesus. Help us, Father, in this journey. Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name.